well, well. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to another episode of Beauty and the Breakdown. Today, I would like to talk about repentance because it's been on my mind a lot and um, we've gone through a lot of shows where it's been, um, you know, one-worded titles such as, you know, faith, actions, aroma, um, thoughts, and uh, the thoughts have a lot to do with it and uh, how to turn to repentance. And I just wanted to play a clip that I found of Alice Cooper being interviewed by Greg Lowry. Um, Laurie, Lowry, however you say his name. Uh, anyway, it's pretty fascinating, pretty simple, straight and to the point. And uh, we're going to start off with it. So uh, check this out right here. You know, a lot of people say, you know, I, I came to Christ because my love of Jesus. I came to Christ because of my fear of God. I totally understood that hell was not getting high with Jim Morrison. <laughs> hell was going to be the worst place ever. In fear, I came back to the Lord. But I went to another church and that pastor preached the love of Christ, which now you put the two together yeah. and it was exactly right. Yes. Well, you know, the Bible even says some saved by fear. You know, and there's a point where some people, they need the hell scared out of them. I'm telling you, I, I, was, I had, because I knew if I died and I knew, in other words, I knew who Christ was, Jesus Christ was, and I was denying him because I was living my own life and I was living my life without him. I knew that there had to either come a point where I either accepted Christ and started living that life, or if I died in this, I was in a lot of trouble. And that's what really motivated me. What does that mean when you say accepted Christ? What does it mean to accept Christ? Well, you know, I don't think we accept Christ. I think we accept the fact that he accepted us, you know? Um, And I just got to a point of saying, I'm tired of this life. And I know that this is right. When people say, well, how do you know that? Put that into words and I go, you can't put that into words. It's because God opens your eyes and he says, you know, it's supernatural. And you try to tell that to people and they go, well, yeah, but so is voodoo and so is this. And I go, no, you don't understand. And I could never explain it to you. But when, when the Lord opens your eyes and you suddenly realize who you are and who he is, oh, it's a whole different world. I think that some people, when they think about repentance, they think about the signs on the side of the interstate, you know, that basically say like repent or burn in hell or some kind of stuff. It, it, you know, it always feels like there's a finger pointing at you and condemning you. Uh, that's the negative side of it. And, you know, like, you know, Greg Lowry said in that in that little bit there that some people do actually need the hell scared out of them. You know, some people are just grateful. Some people can see the beauty in it. Some people can know that there is a promise by God and instantly partake in the repentance and the joy that comes with it. But along the lines of being scared to death. Yeah. There are some really evil people in this world and quite frankly i think that that selling tactic has been used to the point to where it's it's gotten a hold of the folks that it's needed to get a hold of and it probably still works from time to time but i think that love outweighs 
all of the condemnation that the hellfire damnation messages preach. There's also the part where Jesus is separating the believers um, from the faithful to the unfaithful, from the faithful to the lukewarm, where he's like, you know, to the to those on the right, come and enjoy my father's kingdom. To those on the left, depart from me, I never knew you. And then they're all like, well, Lord, we cast out demons in your name and we healed the sick. And, you know, pretty much Jesus says that you were lukewarm and I spit you out of my mouth. Depart from me. I never knew you. Basically, it's like having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What is that? That's some kind of form of repentance that isn't valid. It's not real. I think that that's where the saying comes in that many people want the glory without the cross. And obviously, what do you think about when you hear that? Many people want the glory without the cross. Hmm. I think of televangelists. I think of the people that are out there saying, Ew, the Lord wants you to send in $3,000 right now. I'm getting a message. If you pay me $2,500, I'll send you a vial of tears from an angel's ass. I don't believe that stuff at all. And as a matter of fact, like people like Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplenish, um, you know, those two buttholes that got up there and um, started talking about, you know, I can't let them people ride in my airplane. I need a private jet so I can fly all over the world and preach the gospel by myself. I can't get in the tube with those demons. He called his followers demons. He called people that he's preaching to demons. He can't be around those people. He can't be around them. But he can get in a sanctuary filled with people that are demons and ask them for money. That's okay. And then the other guys you got with them, like Creflo Dollar and Keith Moore. All those people are within the Word of Faith movement, and they are in error, hardcore error. But some people are like, well, they're making money from it. Look at them. Look at them making all that money. Praise the Lord. Yes, I say I praise him. Don't let money fool you. They love that money. And the love of money is the root of all evil. It truly is. I wonder if he would be the same preacher that he is if he was flat broke in a church that was struggling to keep the lights on. I wonder if he would be just as excited and just as happy. I mean, the guy looks like he smells like Dillard's. Or maybe the bathroom at an IGA. Those dudes continually use the glory of God for their own benefit. That is flat out the glory without the cross. And it's terrible. And... You know, I would not want to be around when God judges that. But also, God's love is pretty deep and pretty wide, and it is always forgiving, and 
he's quite a patient, loving God, but I just think that those dudes, they teach basically that, you know, if you have faith, then everything's yours. The inheritance and the kingdom and the glory and the riches and the power in Jesus' name is all yours. And it's power and glory. Glory. That stuff makes me want to throw up. So, basically, uh, it's your faith that gets you things. And those things are the riches and glory and the inheritance in God. And... I don't really ever hear them talk about joy all that much. It's just always a bunch of shit that you can have and you can keep and some material possessions and they're just um, wrapped up in all that stuff. But if you don't have it, then it's because of your lack of faith. And if you're sick, if you get sick, it's because of your lack of faith. This is the same guy that was said, you know, COVID-19! I blow the wind of God. That dude. Yeah, these are the same people. You know, they preach healing and they preach their power and they preach the laying on of hands and all kinds of stuff like that. But you always just see them at their own conventions. And of course, I'm going to pull out the old old school weapon here. And I'm going to say, how come you never see those guys in the hospitals laying hands on the sick? You never see them at the orphanages praying for the children to get their parents and the families that they need to live and to grow up good and to grow up in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. My child was sick and she died. Did she lack faith? She was six years old. Did God punish her because she didn't have faith? Was it sin? Did she not repent? Is she in hell? What are these people doing? And these are the people that have a wide range of an audience. Their message goes out because they got the money. And people believe that bullshit. Well, I'm here to tell you that I don't listen to that that stuff. That stuff is evil. And that stuff is dangerous. And it makes people feel like Total shit. It makes people run from God because they don't want to be like that. They don't want to smell like Dillard's. You know what's crazy is those preachers talk about the riches and the glory and the and the power. They wave their stupid hands in the air with their rings on their fingers. We all hunger for that, so that's that's their bait. They cast those lines out there, and boy, do they get a catch. They get people just throwing money at them. You know, like Michael Bolton concerts? I've heard people about being in the front row at those shows before. Um, dudes tell me this, and I'm like, why in the hell were you in the front row at a Michael Bolton concert? And they're like, I saw the panties. They were flying over my head and they were landing on the stage. <laughs> Why were you there, dude? Michael Bolton sucks. <laughs> but anyway, I, I think about I think about those people at those conferences, man. They just empty their wallets into the into the giving bowl. And they throw their money at the preachers. Nope.
That's a hard pass for me, dog. I would just like to say that something that totally is the truth, that 100% defiles the ministry of Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Keith Moore, and Jesse DePrentish. That gratitude is riches. Complaining is poverty. Let me explain this real quick. Gratitude is riches. Let's start there. They always say the people that have a lot of money, that the, the world always tells you, having a lot of money, you're so happy and successful. Well, and then you turn around and you hear things like, well, m- money can't buy happiness. And then you're standing there, you're like, what the actual hell is going on here? What am I supposed to do? What makes you happy? What makes you happy? Gratitude. You ever just walk around and have a good day feeling thankful? And you don't think about money. You don't think about everything going on in life that's holding you back. Gratitude. Thankfulness. Forgiveness. Love. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Self-control. When you repent... And you are casting aside the things that were holding you back. And you know what I'm talking about. You, 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 just between you and God, man. But for me, once I started casting those things at his feet, and I realized how thankful I was that he saved me, and how good he actually is, the gratitude replaced the misery Yeah, I want things. Yeah, I want to go spend some money and go to a concert. Man, I have three pairs of pants to my name and about 6,000 black concert t-shirts. I love buying concert t-shirts, man. That's just the thing. I don't love it more than God. I don't need the concert shirts. I just like it. It's nice to be able to get things. I'm not saying throughout this message here that rich people are going to burn in hell. There are some good people that are supposed to have money. People that have money give people jobs. I don't know if you realize that formula or not. So all rich people aren't bad. It's just the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil, okay? There's that confusing thing. There, you know, it's just people warp and twist that up all the time, even on television. But gratitude is riches. Real thankfulness is riches. I was asking myself the other day. I was like, "Why do people pray before they eat?" I don't understand. I mean, damn, just eat. I don't want to sit there and listen to this. I want to eat. That's the way I feel when people pray when they eat. But then again, if I just stop for two freaking seconds and I'm so thankful for that food that I'm about to eat, I am 15 times more appreciative towards the food. It's really simple. Complaining is poverty. 
Complaining sucks. And being around a bunch of people that are complaining while you're complaining about the people that are complaining sucks. And just, it does no good for anything. How about that? But complaining is poverty. It does you no good. Uh, the whole Karen thing, whenever that started, I thought it was hilarious. I've never known a really nice person named Karen, actually. <laughs> it's wild how that name just fits. You know, I've never known an ugly Sarah. It's weird. It's weird. But complaining isn't good. To go and complain on a consistent basis and be in the negative is to be unappreciative of any situation. And it goes against the standard of all things work for the good of those who love God. And God says, make the best of every opportunity. It is so hard sometimes not to complain. And we all do it. We all have scooped the spoon in the big soup bowl of complaining. That it was a stupid analogy. Now I'm complaining about that. But I think it's really, really good for us to step back sometimes and really look at where God is in our lives once we start repenting. And once we know of the things that are correcting our spirit and how his hand is on our lives. The glory of tomorrow is rooted in the drudgery of today. And when you're in the middle of a mess, sometimes you don't you don't have the ability to look into the future and say, well, I'm real glad I'm going through this right now because tomorrow is going to be all sunshine and happy farts. We don't think like that for the most part. Sometimes we get real tired and we get worn down, especially if we're going through something that lasts months. It's really, really difficult. So I think in order for us to take a really quick shot at recognizing things that we need to repent for, it, it puts us in front of other circumstances as we grow in the things of God to really catch up with ourselves and be quick and be prompt and know how to operate in certain situations. We're not always going to be good at it. I mean, hell, some 80-year-olds still suck at dealing with themselves. But we try, and God knows our innermost thoughts and our innermost beings and how we operate and how we're wired. But we as people towards each other, we don't know how each other is wired unless we absolutely spend quality time with other people. And I think that a message of repentance to folks needs to be delivered in a caring way to make them realize that everybody has struggles, everybody has faults, and they all struggle with their own imperfections. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. As I stated before, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. My style of repentance has to do with how my life has changed because I've repented of my sins. I know 
deep down inside of my heart and in my innermost being what I needed to repent of. A lot of things are deeply, deeply personal. And because I repented of these things, I have completely turned around and gone the opposite direction. To repent means to change the way that you think in order to come in line with God's word. The cue word here is think. Change the way you think. I talked about how I laid in bed for hours at night pondering in my mind, thinking of the things that I was missing and that I wanted. And I had to battle through all of those things. And this is why I was, while I was reading the word and I was praying and I was asking God to reveal things to me. And during the day, it just seems like it was not happening. I was just going about my day. Everything was normal. It was fine. And then at night I would lay down and I would just, I would, I was tired when I laid down. But the minute I laid there, it was like, Bing! I would just, Lay there and think and think and overthink and think more and then think about who I was on the inside and how do I get rid of this? That's it. That's the work that he started to do because I asked him to do it and I'm, I got what I asked for. Big time. Big time. And it's wonderful. It was hell to go through. It's actually hell to go through it now. But it's working because all I do is I wake up and I, I, just, I just run to the front of the house and I sit down every morning and I just get into his word. And I'm so excited about it because I learn so much and I take in everything. And man, from the way that I talk to people, deal with people, deal with my own patience in myself, a lot has changed since October. A whole lot. It's holiness. And it comes in many forms. But for me, it's just a day-by-day shedding of the sin and death that had its grip on me is now falling down at my feet and I'm walking right over it. Every day. Every single day, it gets better. True holiness is to be completely God's. I want to read a couple of uh, paragraphs from this book that I'm still camped out in called The Awe of God by John Revere. This is on page 148. It says, to repent means to change the way that you think and thus act in order to come in line with God's word. In Luke's gospel, we are told a story illustrating missed opportunities due to the timing and priorities. Jesus said a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. No doubt it's the word of the Lord. The feast is ready. Timing is of the essence. Look at the response of those invited. But they all began making excuses. 
seemingly around reasons are given for their inability to attend. One had bought land. One needed to attend to his business, and the other had a wife who needed his attention. The excuses didn't include adultery, stealing, murder, or anything else that we could classify as sinful. However, when what is not sin takes precedence over the word of the Lord, it becomes sin. The servant came back with the report of those that were invited, and we read, The master was furious. Not unhappy, but furious. Why? Because his invitation was taken lightly. It wasn't priority. What does the master do? He invites others who were not originally invited. Jesus concludes with, For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of the banquet. Their window of opportunity was missed. Their excuses seemed harmless, but it's important to remember that even harmless things can detour us from fulfilling God's will. This easily occurs when the fear of the Lord is absent from our hearts. That opening segment with Alice Cooper He said that he ran to God out of fear. He knew that he was missing something. He knew that he needed everything that God can give to the inside of him to make him be who he's intended to be. He wasn't blind to that. He knew it. He didn't make excuses anymore. It was the right time and the right place to hear the invitation, even though the invitation had been there the whole time. Which blows my mind because how peaceful and how patient and how loving God is. And some of the things that I say from time to time are going to be on repeat. But this message is going to be here our entire lives. And it's up to us to what we do with it and how we respond. Because the banquet is ready and he is inviting us. And we are all called to repentance. To come to him. And to know him. It's not a bad thing. If you want to change your life, you have to change the way you believe. I love that. Because it's so true. It's so true. To repent means to change the way that you think in order to come in line with God's word. His promises are just stacked one on top of the other, dude. And the wisdom and the patience and the peace and the kindness that comes after repentance and chasing him down, you'll catch up with him and you'll, and then you'll run again. But he's always going to lead you and walk with you. You know, um, I read something the other day that says, if you love anything in this world more than God, you will crush that object underneath the weight of your expectations. You ever love something so much at first and then it gets really old? I mean anything. A song, a shirt, cake, yogurt, Activia commercials, Ace of Base, Michael Bolton. Things get old and we move on. And... You crush those things with the weight of your expectations because you you seem to want those things to last, and they don't. So you move on 
I'm like that with creating music. I have to take breaks from certain genres, and I'm glad that I know how to play, a, you know, multiple genres of music and write. But then again, at the same time, those things get old. So it's good to have multiple things to jump back and forth on. The only thing that doesn't get old is God. It's like that saying that I heard from a man named Ed Cole that said that God is a God of diversity, therefore sameness is boring. And I sat on that one for a long time, because that's deep. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he created everything, so He's so diverse that our understanding of him is not, we haven't even scratched the surface. He says, but we are but a mist. And if you think about mist, if you spray water out of a spray bottle, the mist goes into the air and evaporates into the atmosphere. And compared that mist to our lives and how long our lives are, well, that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface with our lives, to the eternity of the existence of God. <sighs> Repentance, to me, is a beautiful thing. It's like seeing, you know, a couple that, you know, reconcile their marriage. It's like uh, knowing and growing in goodness, because that's all he wants, is for us to repent and I think it just means that once you realize, you, you know, you can start off saying things like, I'm sorry for the way I said that to somebody, and I'm sorry for the things that I, I'm thinking about, and I'm sorry, Jesus, for just being a bad, bad person. But in, I've been, I mean, I have been lately, I am so sorry that I neglected my first love. Because knowing that I truly do love him and that I truly do seek him and I'm chasing after him, and sometimes it feels like I'm walking right there with him, and then all of a sudden it's like he's way ahead of me. Sometimes I'm, I feel like I'm way ahead of him, and I have to just go backwards. Those are those moments of, you know, humility or just wait a minute, I could learn more from this and just go back. Philippians 3.8 says that I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Are you familiar with the term generational curses? I thought about it from time to time, but I've never really applied it to my life. But there are things that have happened in my family that I'm not necessarily proud of. There is a lot of alcohol in my family. Uh, when I was younger, my family would all get together and they would drink beer and have big cookouts and we would have just an amazing time and everything seemed so good. 
when we were little kids, we'd all be in the other room, always watching TV. I always get to hang out with my cousins while all the adults were in the other room. You could see the cigarette smoke waving like somebody's flapping a quilt in slow motion in the room, in the air. And the phone cord would be stretched from the wall all the way across the table that was full of food and cigarettes and beer cans and everybody would just hang out at my aunt's house and it was an amazing time. It seemed normal. But everybody in my family has had an issue with alcohol, so it seems. Everybody on my dad's side of the family would just beat the ever-living shit out of each other. And then there's divorce. Everybody gets divorced. Everybody beats the shit out of everybody. Everybody drinks beer. And those three in a combination are just, doesn't that sound fun? And I mean, that is what has been in my family. And I have grown up surrounded by that stuff. And I'm divorced. And I've had a drinking problem. Now, I have never been involved in domestic abuse. And that is the one thing I swore I would never do, ever. And I will never abandon my children. And I decided to break these generational curses that I felt were over my life and in my family. I don't know how far back they go, but I know it goes pretty dang far back into some really screwed up stuff. And look, no family is perfect. Everybody has issues. And the reason why we all have our issues is because of the people that raised us. They have issues. And the people that raised them had issues. And it goes just so far back Duh, hence the name Generational Curses. I've tried to talk to people about God in my family that are so beaten over the head with the book because of this fake facade that was around in the 50s and the 60s. Um, They see God only in that painted picture and they can't unsee it. Hence the, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you know. Um, it's sad really because of the painted picture in the fifties and the sixties when you couldn't talk about sex and rock and roll was bad and going to the movies. If you do that, you're going to go to hell, you know, and all these people just used to shit all over each other. Well, I'm really tired of that and I'm tired of seeing that. It's like looking at somebody while they're standing behind bars You know, and you're standing there and you're looking at this old haunted figure that can't move past their damage. And it's so sad because I decided not to pay attention to what people tell me until I have, you know, I have proof and that I can believe that something works for me. That's the only way that I can really move and believe in something. And thank God that I am open to spiritual things. I never thought about myself as a real spiritual person until I started believing in God. I heard a story one time that there 
was a um, a person at a gas station talking to the gas station clerk. And this gas station is actually a couple of blocks down the street from my house. Uh, I live in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, this gas station is on the corner of Rosewood and Kilbourne, the Exxon gas station to be exact. Uh, this person was in the gas station talking to the clerk about God. The clerk wanted nothing to do with it. And the clerk actually looked at the person and said, the only way that I am actually ever going to believe in God is if someone comes through that door within seconds of this conversation being over and does something completely nuts. Well, ta-da! The doors open and this homeless dude ran through the door threw his bag on the floor and did a handstand up against the wall and started going and that gas station clerk ended up going to church with this dude. (laughs) And that's the end of the story. That's insane. That's crazy. But hey, sometimes God's like, oh yeah, watch this man. So I'm really glad that I just never saw myself as a spiritual person and that I would be, you know, able to detect and, and to feel things. And going back to the generational curses, and the first time that I have ever, ever really paid attention to that, I thought way back, and I thought about how screwed up things were when I was a kid and what I saw and the fights that I saw in my homes and in my friends' homes and their parents were just screwed up. I found a clip of a very young girl on TikTok talking about weeds in the garden and how God is the ultimate gardener and it's breaking generational curses and the power of God over that and repentance. Check this out. Growing God's garden. Um, so where I left off was essentially God is saying, run away from these weeds that come up. Whenever they come up in your mind, run towards me, run to me, right? The reason, because I, I went back and thought, wait, I never talked about the shovel. What, 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 what did you mean by the shovel now that I even think about it? He's like, some weeds are so deep, you don't know how hard their roots grow. Ooh, generational curses. This could be the same type of weed that's in your mom's garden, that's in your grandfather's garden, that's in your great, great, great grandmother's garden that they couldn't pull out, that they didn't pull out, that they didn't know how to pull out, they didn't know how to give over to God. You don't know how deep those roots truly go. You don't know, for me, divorce is our, my generational curse it's just the generational weed per se of everyone in my family's garden right god is the only way to pull out that root and it takes a shovel sometimes and the thing is is whenever you think about this you're pulling from the earth you're it's going to be uncomfortable right like that soil say it's your body it's your mindset it's how you're walking in your in, with the lord it's going to be uncomfortable it's going to hurt it's going to feel like once it's gone there's an empty hole but god is there to fill it back up god is your comfort god 
the <laughs> his rod and his staff comfort you. His shovel should comfort you because that means he is the great physician. He is taking out what is sickening you, what is pulling you back that sometimes you don't even realize is pulling you away from him. I love the fact that it that's that person's so young that's realizing these things. I'm so old and I'm realizing these things. I don't blame anybody for the sin in my life except for myself. But the attachments that I have, the generational curse that tries to linger in my life and saturate itself over me has no hold on me whatsoever. I will not allow it. And I've spent a long time overcoming some things and I'm finally moving forward and growing in the things of God and learning how to repent and how to feel free and feel joy. And I highly recommend to each and every single one of you to talk to God and to recognize the sin in your life because he's not going to strike you with lightning and he's not going to put you down. He's just going to pick you up and love on you and make sure that you have a place to be loved by him and to grow and to know the things of God. Psalm 139 verse 1 says, O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Then in verse 23 and 24 it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. It doesn't say, see if there is any offensive way in me and strike me down. It says, lead me in the way of everlasting, meaning that you can come to him in all of your filth and unrighteousness and your sin and everything that you know that you need to turn away from. He is there and he will listen to you and he will acknowledge every single thing that you have to say to him. Because when you bring those things before the feet of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he will fix you so that you can rise up and you can turn around and live your life to please him. And that will give you rest you will have it and you will own it and you will live in it in Jesus name until next time peace be with you